Um, well, thank you. thanks again, everyone, for coming. Uh, my name is Megan Cowell. I'm the Director of Spiritual Formation here at Bethany West Seattle. I uh, wanted to say a special welcome to those of you joining online and, of course, those of you all that came today and are in the room with us. Uh, I'm honored to be a part of worship with all of you here um, and to share what I've been praying this last week or so might be more from God than from myself. So that's kind of my prayer as I go into this week of getting ready to talk with you. Uh, last week, Pastor Prentice introduced to us a series uh, that we look at every fall, which is around Go, Gather, and Grow. And uh, to recap, we learned about, uh, and have been chewing on this last week, this concept of, as you're going, disciple. Or in my own paraphrase, I would say, in who we are, or in who you are, uh, show the love of Jesus and help others to do the same. During this Grow Week, we're going to be looking uh, at Psalm 1 and what it means to be rooted and aware of all that is around us as we grow. So we know that God's love is such that he created us not to grow just alone in a silo, but in the context of relationship with himself, with other humans, and within the very environment that our physical bodies are in here today. So join me as I read today's text, Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like the chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction." Join me as, uh, as we pray before we dive in this together. Holy Spirit, uh, we recognize your presence today uh, in this room, uh, and we invite you to, to further move in your people in whatever way it would be that you desire. Um, as I take a deep breath, uh, I just want to pause and relinquish control back over to you in this time. I pray that any words that I share that are not of you would be removed from the minds of people today. Um, and, then, and I just humbly ask that you would use our lives in this moment, uh, in this moment of our lives, uh, for the sake of your kingdom. Uh, may we grow uh, more rooted in the soil that you want us in. Would you make us uh, open to any kind of pruning that you might have in our lives of things uh, that would be, need to be stripped away, and just ask again for that awareness of your outpouring love, that we would be aware of you and the love that you have for us. Uh, we love you, God, and we pray this in your son's name. Amen. So, uh, I have some sisters. I love them. Anybody else here have siblings? Yeah, see a few. See a few little hands with siblings. Good to see. Um, well, we love spending time with each other, and recently my sister recommended to me a book uh, sweet younger sister that she is, and she's, this book by Thomas Erickson is called Surrounded by Idiots. So I was like, hmm, oh, thanks, Jay. Okay, don't know why you want me, want me to read this one, but all right. Uh, but in this book, and what I really appreciated was a particular quote where Erickson states that everything you say to a person is, is filtered through his frames of reference, biases, and preconceived ideas. So what remains is ultimately the message that he understands, filtered through all of that. The psalmist in Psalm 1 gives us positive and negative examples which show us the benefit of living a life that's saturated in the law of the Lord. So how do we read this without initially creating kind of this us versus them mentality through all of our preconceived ideas that we have? I know that as I read that, that's kind of where my mind goes. My mind already jumps into that comparison, comparison game of myself versus fill-in-the-blank person. So in reading our scripture today, we're in 2022, 
how do we assign what's wicked and what's not when so, many, so much factors into it, so much nuance? How do we live with generosity towards personhood and, step, and walk in step with God? So how do we do those things? A core belief here at Bethany is that in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. And it, but a question that comes up often, especially as we look at issues where it takes more than just a simple answer, a singular answer to situations and individuals uh, where that both individual and collective stories are involved. So what, what is essential? That question keeps coming up. Like, what's essential? Where do we have liberty? How do we navigate this? And as an interdenominational church, meaning that we have a lot of denominations present under one big tent, we're going to have a lot of settings where, where our frames of reference, our biases, our preconceived ideas, they all directly conflict. To focus on the conflict alone and only the conflict that we have, I think is a, is a tool of the enemy to attempt to distract us in subtle ways that have us bunkering down in our own corner, have us thinking of our own opinions and not learning from one another. And so this is not to say don't dig in. I really, I, I'm admonishing you guys to think and to remain like, active and a part, active participant in things that you are learning about in your day-to-day life to not remain neutral in times of moral crisis, but to really to, to be in conversation with God and with others and the natural world as you do so. So what I'd like to unpack today is not this right versus wrong question, but this question of what does it mean to live saturated, delighting in the law of the Lord? This done in the context of our relationship with God, again, with God, with others, and with our environment that's around us. So that out of this growth, we can move in step with God for his plan for justice, mercy, and love for his kingdom today. Not just in the future, but right now in this, in this life that we're in. So we need others in order for our roots to grow healthy. Let's turn to the trees for an example of this, as the psalm gives us imagery of what a healthy tree looks like. Our BCC logo, or the Bethany logo in itself, is a tree. That's, uh, it's a depiction of a tree that only grows in the context of others. So you might have seen it. It's a really skinny, narrow bottom, and then the top kind of pops out in a triangle. Uh, the bushy Christmas tree image that we're all used to seeing that has branches that go all the way down to the ground, that's actually not a depiction of how a tree grows healthily in nature. It's not actually good to have all of this growth, this perfect symmetrical growth that, that creates our Christmas trees that we put up every year. Uh, in one of my favorite books, Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer, she has a quote that I think talks, tells us more about the trees. And she says that the trees, don't act, uh, the trees act not as individuals, but somehow as a collective. Exactly how this, they do this, we don't know yet. But what we see is the power of unity. What happens to one happens to us all. We can starve together or we can feast together. And so this healthy forest or a neighborhood of trees has a way of speaking through its roots, more than what we just see on the outside. The mycelium network of fungi speaks and passes messages between all of the different aspects of that tree. And then for some, even, there's messages that get passed through the wind. So we have this concept of trees talking to each other, just as we as humans are interacting and talking with each other. But the planted trees in our Department of Agriculture, we're learning, have begun to learn that they, they no longer know how to speak to each other. So, and part of that is because we lack the biodiversity that's necessary in order for trees to grow healthily, but it's also because they're forgetting how to tree, kind of like we forget how to, how to human or how to walk in the way of God. These trees are forgetting how to tree as they grow susceptible to disease and death and all these other things that come. So what we know is that nature does not like monocrops. Is your life currently a monocrop? I'll just pause it and think about that again. Is your life currently a monocrop? If you were to do an inventory of the, the voices and the spaces that influence your life, who and what do you see around you? When was the last time that you talked to someone who doesn't look like you, think like you, act like you, vote like you? Or maybe it's the opposite. 
maybe you're surrounded by opposition and, and though you love those people in your life, those people that think differently than you, um, maybe it's been years or months since you've had a close friend or someone else just that you can walk in company of that's also attempting to follow after Jesus. So maybe one of these reasons is here. Maybe it's something, something else that brought you here today. But can I argue that we need both? That we need, uh, it's the same in our life that, as it is with the trees, that we need people, believers and non-believers, Republicans and Democrats, young and old, progressives and liberals, anti-racists and racists. Oh, wait, no, just kidding. Did, anybody, did everyone still with me? We don't need that. We don't need that, right? <laughs> um, no, but to, to be serious here for a second, uh, Pastor Rich Viotas uh, leads a, a church uh, over on the, on the East Coast, but he talks about um, this diversity, and what he says is that, like, we're not talking about just for the sake of diversity, and just to note, like, this can't be equated to racial reconciliation, which we as a church are about to dive into in just a couple weeks, a full series on looking at um, race within our church. But Biotis writes that when the gospel is deeply at work, racial reconciliation results in a diverse community that embraces the unique gifts and acknowledges the distinctive sins of their ethnic, racial, and social makeup while experiencing the loving communion with others under the lordship of Jesus. So it's a collective, collaborative process that's made better than just the sum of its parts alone. So I was recently at a pastor's conference on formation, and one of the speakers, John Ortberg, uh, had a quote that really, that really stuck with me. Um, and it says this, that, that we are all being spiritually formed all the time. We are all being spiritually formed all the time. And now that I'm paraphrasing in this, but shouldn't that mean then that we should pay attention to who and the what and the how that we're being formed in particular? So I'm a logistics person. And as soon as someone has an idea that I'm on board with, I'm like, all right, what are our next steps? How do we make this happen? Where's the spreadsheet? Like, Google Docs, let's go. Uh, but here at Bethany, we participate in an ancient practice that was introduced to, uh, to the church, collective church, uh, by the Desert Fathers. Um, and I'd like to reintroduce that here today, and it's called the Rule of Life. So as Hannah mentioned, there's a little piece of paper that you should have gotten when you came in. If not, we can get you some on your way out. And then for those of you that are online, there's a, a link tree link that you can also access this on. Um, and so since I reference it, let's pause and just take a second to look over it. You've got one in your hand. I think it's also here on the screen as you look. So these practices, exhaling and inhaling, uh, they're not practices that are just for the sake of wellness or self-actualization, but these are, these are there for the sake of yourself and for others. So how does our relationship with God flow out of these particular habits and into others? So we have these practices, again, inhaling and exhaling as they're listed here. But if you think of them as like a schoolroom ruler or perhaps like a rope guide on a climb, um, it's something that's there to guide you in the way of life that Jesus is inviting you to participate in. And as you read them, you might be tempted to organize them as, okay, these are the things I do myself, and then these are the things I do for people or with people. But really what I want to have you think about for a second is, what if you reread that and you thought about it as being able to do both? You can do both inhaling habits and excelling habits in the context of other people or in your own kind of one-on-one time uh, with God. I think that's a little bit tough. When you read things like, um, when you think generosity, you're like, oh yeah, that's going to involve somebody else. That's like me doing a thing. But what if generosity looks more like participating in a conversation with someone? What if generosity looks more about like holding your tongue when you're like, ah, I really want to say that thing, but really it's, I'm going to wait and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen in this moment. So again, these are, these are things that can be internal and external and not meant to just only be one way or the other. 
Uh, though, as we look at these, I just want to emphasize over and over again that this is the how, not the why. This is not the reason for following. This is, I don't want this to be a, a comment on like legalism and the things that we have to do in order to follow God. These are more forms, uh, are, these more form ways that allow us to engage in rhythms to shape our actions. They can serve as those streams flowing past our trees, the soil enhancements, the ways that we tangle our roots together with those around us. So our, our Bethany Wilderness Ministry has a program called Ancient Paths. And for the past few years, I've gone to be a guide within this program called Ancient Paths. And as I was preparing for this message, I realized just that the how of, of practicing these inhaling and, ha- and exhaling habits can all be done in the context of this one program that we have. Um, so my new way of describing the, the ministry, a little shameless plug here to, to talk to you guys about it, is that it's a 24-hour wilderness experience with preparation leading up that offers the opportunity to practice rule of life, to look at these, that list of things and practice them in this short and contained uh, time of your life. It's my hope that we might be able to do an ancient paths trip as, as Bethany West Seattle. That's one of my secret hopes here. Um, or something similar to it, because I think that these outdoor moments, they serve as a learning experience for our day-to-day. And it doesn't have to be on the top of a mountain. It can be just down the street at a park. I just think that um, this, this can also happen in the context of a small group or in your mom's a preschoolers group or in an AA gathering. Like There's this opportunity to, to, again, experience these different practices in the settings that we're in. But what I like about this Ancient Paths idea is that it's pulling us out of our context of being indoors and it's putting us into a setting outside, things that you're not used to, and, and you're not alone. You have a structure. You have a safety system set up to help you get from point A to point B, but really it's more about the walk from A to B that we're practicing uh, as we're part of that. So one of the women, I, I led a women's trip my first year, and one of the women that I had gone with, uh, she had climbed some crazy mountains. She had ridden her bike across the United States. She had done some pretty intense things. Uh, but she was in her 60s, and one of the things that, as she was going up the mountain, she's realizing, um, like, I can't carry my own bag. Like, she's like, there's too much stuff in my bag. And so she had, uh, it was actually the other members within our group that said, hey, let me take that for you. Like, hey, let me take this piece off for you and carry the weight for you as you go. And one of the things that she really, um, that really struck me about her experience when she was walking up the mountain and getting to the spot where we sit and have quiet time is that she realized that, that she could have, like in her past, she could just go. She could just go climb the mountain do the thing. But that she was realizing that she doesn't have that opportunity now. Like she does need to rely on other people. And her body is changing. And it, and it means that asking for help and doing it in the context of other people is necessary. So um, there are so many other lessons that have come out of that time. But uh, just to want to bring us back here as we continue to continue on here to think about the fact that like our lives, our lives again are not intended to focus only on our vertical relationship with God, but it's our horizontal relationship with others, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit amongst other people in those relationships and in the context of our environment, the physical world around us, because He can permeate through these other avenues. It's not just through the 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 one vertical relationship that we have. So we know that God is committed to our transformation, and he wants our lives to be infused with his own. So how do we do this? Galatians uh, 5.16 in the message has a, has a description of what this looks like. It, it looks like living freely, animated and motivated by God's spirit, individually and as his people, so that we're not like the chaff blown about like we read in Psalm 1, but, but that we're actually individually and as his people living freely, animated, motivated by God's spirit. So have you ever had a moment where you just didn't know what to do? Like you're in a moment of just like pure desperation of I don't know the answer to this. 
Um, I've had one of those, had multiple of those, but a few years ago, my husband uh, had a mountain bike crash, and it was just a minor, minor crash, but it led to uh, a hospital-acquired infection in his leg, in his broken leg, that stumped Harborview's infectious disease team. Like, they did not know what was going on with him. Uh, fast forward, and he's on surgery number five out of what would be seven, and he's in the middle of fighting to not just lose his leg, but at times to not lose his life, and Throughout this whole thing, he's still working his job. He's still going to work. It's a pretty active space that he's in. Uh, and we'd been trying to get pregnant, and it was not working. So in hindsight, we probably shouldn't have been trying to have a kid when all of this was going on. We were our most healthiest. But, you know, the heart wants what the heart wants. So um, needless to say, neither of us were in anything that remotes a healthy, like, state of being. And we made some decisions that were super hurtful to one another. And in a particularly hard moment, one of those, like, tipping point experiences... I took myself on a hike up Granite Mountain uh, just to get away from everything. And, and as I contemplated with this deep sense of desperation, I just kept asking the question of, like, what do we do here? Like, do we keep doing this? How do we keep doing this? And uh, Jeremiah 6, 16 states that it says, uh, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. And that was the verse that kept coming to mind for me on repeat. And I kept asking that question, like, what is the ancient path then? Like, what's the route I'm supposed to take here? What do we do here, God? And that answer seemed to transcend that question of just my marriage. And I sat on this creek and watched the kind of river flow in the direction that it went. And it it brought me back to that verse again of follow the ancient path that I have for you, Megan. And out of that space, that space of following some of these these guidelines or markers of God's heart that I can see from that live into the marriage, not the other way around, which I think I had been trying to do the opposite. And so reading that Psalm 1 again, it says, Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night, the person like a tree planted by streams of water, yielding its fruit in season. And this word shavetz, the Hebrew root uh, here is translated as delight, uh, but it's used 39 times in the Old Testament. So it's something that the original listeners, they knew this word, they've heard it a bunch of different times. But in our English language, in our context for today, it's also translated as to love. So delight or to love. And this gets at the heart of what transformation is, or what formation is all about, and that you are what you love. I'll take liberties here and say, blessed are those who love the way of Jesus. Isn't that our goal? So if we're to delight in the law of the Lord, and we are to love following after Jesus, then we are to love what, following after Jesus and the things that he loved. So we know and focus on his desire to love people. But isn't love supposed to be something that helps not, that, that's not just for the sake of ourselves uh, and our own gain, and it's not only in word but also in deed? So we're wrestling with these different ways of looking at it. And we hear the, the phrase of God's first creation, um, or that creation is God's first text. Like before the Bible, we see the creation as his first text. And we can't talk about roots, and we can't talk about growth without also talking a little bit about, about this physical earth. And sometimes we get so caught up in thinking that we as humans are the only thing, the only focus of God. I know that I've been guilty of that uh, a lot of times. And I was reading uh, in Confessions of an Eco-Warrior, uh, an author, Dave Foreman, he says that He talks about wilderness in a particular way. And he says, wilderness says, human beings are not paramount. The earth is not just for homo sapiens alone. Human life is but one life form on the planet and has no right to take exclusive possession. Yes, wilderness for its own sake, without any needs to justify it for human benefit. Wilderness for wilderness, for bears, whales, titmice and rattlesnakes, and stink bugs. And wilderness for human beings, because it is home. So this wilderness, it doesn't have to just look like the trees. And I know I've talked about going up to like these different mountain places and things like that, but we're surrounded by it. Like just look 
we talked about the bridge and it opening up and we can look out into the sound and sometimes wilderness is in the water, sometimes wilderness is in the park down the street, sometimes wilderness is in just a tiny little plant in the hospital room, like just a reminder that there, that there is more out there than just ourselves in this moment. So as we prepare to close and we talk about growth within this physical world we inhabit, I'm not trying to share some new idea, some, some new truth that I think that I've discovered, but more it's a truth that I found really, really helpful and important in my own life, and as the Desert Fathers have talked about this being an ancient practice, like it's, it's a way of attempting to follow Jesus. So we don't exist as merely spiritual. There's, phys- there's philosophers and arguments made across time that will debate that, that at some point that's what we thought we were, but debate's not my form of gifting, so I'm not going to go there. Uh, but I'm here to ask you about your body, about things like your sleep patterns, about how have you interacted with your physical space? Like what, what might it feel like in this very moment in the body that you're sitting in? When's the last time that you let the rain just like hit your upturned face? If you're not into that, because I know not everybody is, what about the last time that you took a blanket and you're sitting in a room and you just wrap that blanket around you and you can feel the fibers, like the physical fibers that that blanket is, made, is making up? What does that feel like to, to wonder in those moments? And so you have a body, you have a story, and we have a body, we have a story, a collective story. And until we recognize that other people's stories and how they interact with the outside world has impacted that, we're going to miss part of our calling. And we only love what we know. We're called to know the outside world, the creation, our streets and spaces, and neighborhoods that we cohabitate. You might have heard this week in the news, it was announced that the Patagonia founder, Yvonne Chouinard, um, had made a radical declaration of love. Apple News didn't phrase it that way, but I want to phrase it that way, that he made a radical declaration of love um, because this 83-year-old billionaire, along with his wife Melinda and his two adult children, uh, instead of taking their business public, instead of getting a huge tax write-off, instead of you know, making more money out of it, they decided to give their significant share of the company directly to environmental preservation. Like, they gave it away. Like, they gave the billions. Like, bil- like billion with a B gave it away. And I think uh, Patagonia's company post hit the nail on the head as like what they were describing what they did. And so I just uh, copied the, the tweet here, but it says, hey friends, we just gave away our company to planet Earth. Okay, it's a little more nuanced than that, but we're close today to celebrate this new plan to save our one and only home. We'll be back online tomorrow. Like, wow, they gave it away and then they celebrated it. Like, when, when's the last time you did something like that? Like some radical statement of love and then got to celebrate that moment. So, Chenard's not a professed follower of Christ, um, but I read his book from 2005 called uh, Let My People Go Surfing, and I'll tell you that this book, it reads like a devotional. It's on my list of books that have, like, contributed to my own theological education or understanding of God and the way that he might work. And, and why is that? Uh, because this book that Chenard wrote that took him 15 years to write, it, dis- it displays a vision for loving the earth and all who inhabit it through both philosophy and action. Does that sound kind of familiar to what we're trying to do in our own, in our own context? So Chenard poses the question of what good does having a fixed set of written philosophies accomplish when everything else in the business world is so dynamic? I'd like to rephrase that, rephrase that uh, with just the word, just life. So what good does having a fixed set of written philosophies accomplish when life is so dynamic? Chenard's answer was this, and I think we can learn from it. Our philosophies aren't rules, they're guidelines. They're the keystones of our approach to any project. And and although they're set in stone, their application to any given situation isn't. What would it look like for our rule of life to operate in the same way as Patagonia's guiding philosophies? 
us moving not for profit, but for caring for the world. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit as a part of this. So can we imagine what kind of an impact, like billions of impacts can happen if we were to live in a similar way? So we can take the outline or the format of this ancient practice of a ruler for life and identify the how, the where these guidelines already occur or could occur in our daily lives. This isn't an invitation to do more. It's more of an invitation to look at what you already are doing and participating in and look at how that might be um, just looked at with a little bit more intention as we go. And then, and then do it with others. Invite somebody else into the process. So as I invite the band to come up as we get ready to close for worship, I'll just give them a little heads up here. Um, I want us to take just a collective breath, again, to just recognize that God is moving and his, present is already, his presence is already here. His presence and his love is already moving in your life. So yes, there's a million of other factors that are shaping us, but can we meditate for a second, just chew repeatedly on that reminder that God loves you. You are loved by God exactly as you are right now. It's not that we have to do any of these things that we talked about in the rule of life in order to earn that love, but they can help us heighten our awareness of the love that's coming at us from God, from others, from the creation around us. And so in this moment, I just invite you to ask God as you're thinking and as they prepare to play um, and lead us in this moment, like, God, what are you speaking to me about this morning? What step can I take to go further up and further into your vision for your people in this context of each other in the world and our one-on-one relationship. So we'll just give you a second to, to talk to God in this moment.